0: I want to remind you of our anniversary services um, Saturday night at 6, and then Sunday 11 and 12. And um, we are uh, praying and fasting and just trusting the Lord for just some great things in these services. And um, I want to encourage, uh, I mentioned this, I posted a little video on our page, but I want to encourage us tonight that. In these kind of services, really in any service, this is our home church, and and you ought to feel comfortable praying with people and and worshiping, and and uh, we need to be an example for visitors and people that we invite. Not, we're not on display, and we're not trying to put a show on and say, "Okay, I got to make sure I do my best because everybody's watching me." Kind of thing. That's not what I'm saying. But what we do when we come here, we come to worship the lord and we come to be engaged in the services and uh and uh, we we need to not shy away from the altars and and if you have people you've invited to church invite them to the altar to pray hey would you like to, to tell them hey i'm going down to pray would you like to come with me you know that's a good way to if you're afraid because sometimes we, well if i say hey you need to go pray they think i think something's wrong with them well just say hey look i'm going down to pray uh, would you like to come with me, uh, I'd, or I'd like you to come with me? I'm going to go pray for a moment before the service, you know, before we leave, and just thank God. You know, and they may think, "Oh, yeah, I'll do that." Well, you never know what will happen or what will break, and so we want to make sure that when we see people here this weekend, as they come to pray, and um, you know, that we do things decently and in order. You know, don't stand on a on the head of a first time visitor and pull their bobby pins out. You know, just. You know, use common sense and pray for them pray in faith and and let's see God move and touch some people and uh, so if you can between now and the weekend I know a lot, a lot of people are fasting today but uh, if you can fast a meal pray specifically for the services pray for Brother Green that God will give him a word and, and use him I know in the youth sanctuary tonight they're having focused prayer for these services so I know they're going to cover a lot of this but um, for those of us that are not up there let's remember the next couple of days Let's be praying for the services and praying for there'll be other ministry here that God will activate the body, you know, and use, use people to to speak a word and pray a word of faith, encourage somebody. And, you know, uh, everything's important in services like this, not, not just the praying for people, but also the greeting of people and making people feel welcome, the, you know that first impression when they come in. Hey, we're glad to see you, man. That makes a world of difference. That that makes people comfortable. So, let's let's do what we do best because this church to me is is the greatest. I love the people here, and and we're always showing the love of God to people. Let's and so let's you know let's not lay off of it. Let's let's be loving. Let's be kind. Let's be encouraging. Let's have faith for people, and let's see a great move of God this weekend. I believe it's going to be great in Jesus' name. So, um, tonight, um, I'm excited because I get to listen tonight. I always enjoy those opportunities. And um, Brother Nathaniel's going to teach us a lesson, a Bible study tonight. So, if you've got your pens and something to take notes on, he's going to talk to us about the tabernacles. And uh, I'm excited about that. It's always a very interesting subject. So, let's give the Lord a hand for his word while Brother Nathaniel comes tonight.
1: Praise the Lord. Um, As Pastor mentioned, I'm going to be covering the three different tabernacles found in the Bible, and then I'm going to be moving on to discussing the seven feasts of the Lord. Um, So at the beginning here, it will be a little bit elementary for anybody that's a seasoned saint, which it looks like everybody here is. (laughs) So... Some of this is not going to be anything new, but I would like to start off with going through it just to set groundwork um, before we move into the second and third tabernacle. Um, Opening verse, I'm going to do Exodus 25, 1 through 9. Say amen when you got it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold, and silver, and brass, and blue and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and rams and, uh, ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them take me a, uh, make me a sanctuary that i may dwell among them according to all that i show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and of the pattern of pattern of the instruments thereof even so shall ye make Uh, Let's say a quick prayer for the lesson tonight. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you, Lord, to study your word. I pray, Lord, that you'll let your word go forth and fall on good soil, that we glean from it, that we grow from it, Lord God. Keep us throughout this night, I pray, and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So what we just read here is the beginning of... The Tabernacle of Moses, in which the Tabernacle of Moses, whenever you say the word tabernacle, most people immediately go to the thought of the Tabernacle of Moses. And so uh, to paint a picture, if you would go through and read all the way through to the end of Exodus, you will see every single meticulous step placed out to create this Tabernacle of the Lord or Tabernacle of Moses, um, so I'll paint a picture here just to make sure we all are on the same page. so if you are walking in the center of the camp of Israel is where the tabernacle of Moses was kept, and you would have, the outer courtyard was surrounded by a fence it's around seven seven and a half foot tall. Um, scholars say that the reason of being seven and a half foot tall is because you didn't want it to be so tall that it's intimidating that you can't come into the house of the Lord and yet it was just high enough to where your average person wouldn't be able to look over into it and so therefore you everyone fell just short of the Lord so fence all the way around it, there was one gate to go into the tabernacle of Moses. As you entered into the tabernacle through the gate, the first piece of uh, furniture that you'd come across is the um, altar of burnt offerings. This, as we know, is where animal sacrifices were performed. And we also know that in foreshadowing this is where the lamb, you know, Jesus was the perfect lamb that was slain to do away because Israel was doing animal sacrifices for an atonement, for a one-year atonement offering. Jesus was a perfect sacrificial lamb to where instead of atonement, we are able to have repentance. The next piece of furniture that you'd come across was the laver. The washing laver um, what this was for, for the tabernacle purpose actually the priest would go to the laver before they would go to the altar of burnt offerings because they had to wash their hands and their feet they had to cleanse themselves and purify themselves before offering offerings unto the Lord we know that For us, today, we're baptized. The blood of the Lamb is applied to our life, cleansing our lives. And then, once you got through, past the altar of burnt offerings, the laver, you had the tabernacle, right? The main building. You go in, one door. You go in through the first curtain, we'll call it. And that was the holy place. And as you entered in, on your left side, you would see a golden candlestick. The golden candlestick was stick with seven heads would give light into the holy place. On your right side, oh, I I did want to note um, John 8 12 is, says Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the candlestick. Um, on the right side, you would have the table of showbread. The table of showbread would have 12 loaves of showbread. And each loaf represented each tribe of Israel. And on the Sabbath day, the 12 loaves is what the priest would eat, the food that would sustain the priest. In John six thirty-five, it says Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one that sustains us. Then as you move between these two, in front of you would be the altar of incense. Um, this altar did not have burnt offerings of flesh. It was not a sacrificial offering of, of sin offering. It was to be incense, sweet savor unto the Lord. Um, some people, I, I believe there's some Christian songs that say that your worship or your praise is a sweet savor of incense, but what's truly the sweet savor of incense is our prayer. As we pray, our prayers are gone up into um, as a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, a priest, the high priest, not just any priest, but the high priest would go to the altar of incense, take some of these hot coals that would be a sweet savor unto the Lord, and he would... Press through the veil into the Holy of Holies. And he would wave this sweet savor unto the Lord around the Ark of the Covenant, which would be the only piece. Well, some people say that there was the Ark of the Covenant and then the mercy seat, but it it was one piece of furniture, right? (laughs) So the high priest would dance and wave the incense, and then the presence of the Lord would come in and fill the Holy of Holies. Um, I've got a side note also for Hebrews uh, 4.16. So with us, if we apply all the previous um, parts of the tabernacle to our lives, if we apply them to our lives, we can go boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, um, which... The Ark of the Covenant had the mercy seat. Um. So, if you, as you go through Scripture, the Tabernacle of Moses remained. They traveled for forty years in the desert. Then they conquered uh, Jericho and got into the Promised Land, and they put the Tabernacle of Moses in the center of. Israel so up to, you know all the way through they had the tabernacle of Moses up until um, King Solomon. Before King Solomon, we know they had judges and I'm not going to get into that, but um, they had judges that ruled them. then King Saul took over. and King Saul is where things began to change. and the reason they change is because Saul if we go to uh 1 Samuel chapter 4 I want to stay with my notes here go to cha- Samuel chapter 4 is where um Saul loses the ark of the covenant to the Philistines um, what happened with Saul is as we know he began to slowly backslide he lost out with God he still had the anointing he still you know he was still the anointed and chosen of God but as far as Saul was concerned, his relationship with God was lost. And so, instead of looking at the Ark of the Covenant as the presence of the Lord and having a relationship with God, the Lord, he used it more of an emotion. A, a... Oh, I gotcha. Um... So he started to use the Ark of the Covenant more as like a, uh, a mascot, if you will, an emotional drive saying, hey, we've got this, we can win, rather than looking at it as this is the relationship with God and going to God and seeking God's guidance for, you know, what, what should I do next? He just used the Ark of the Covenant as a tool, as a weapon, and he lost it. So the presence of the Lord was out of Israel, and the tabernacle of Moses was not complete. They still carried on all of the traditions, all of the laws, but it was without, without purpose, without the presence of the Lord. So if we keep on moving forward and you go into 2 Samuel chapter 6, which I'm actually going to move to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and. Um, I'd like us to kind of look through this as I teach on this one. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the beginning of David bringing the ark of the Lord back into Israel. So, before chapter 6, what we see happen is years have passed. Saul and his sons have passed away in battle, right? David... Is anointed. Well, he's already been anointed. David is crowned king of Israel. The Philistines hear of this. The Philistines still have the Ark of the Covenant. In between this time, we know um, kind of a cool story if you're interested to look into it. But when the Philistines defeat Saul, they get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back home with them and put the Ark of the Covenant in their temple... The temple of Dagon and in the morning Dagon is found (laughs) bowing before the presence of the Lord it's kind of sad though if you think that the king of Israel lost the meaning of the Ark of the Covenant and a statue knew the difference so (laughs) sorry (laughs) Um, so that happens and then David is anointed king while the Philistines hear about this they know they know David's past. They know David's killed his ten thousand of us. <laughs> we need to take a you know stand against this guy. And so the Philistines array themselves in line, ready to fight Israel. David, instead of David just going, <laughs> I've killed my ten thousands of these guys already, David goes and he seeks the Lord. He seeks God's counsel instead of just going after what I know I've already done, what I've already conquered. He seeks the Lord's face. And God says, go ahead, go down, and take them. So David goes in to, and slaughters the Philistines, and then he comes home. Well, <laughs> the Philistines must you know, really enjoy punishment because they array themselves a second time. Well, David literally had just beaten the Philistines. He could, by all right, have just turned right around and gone back into battle with them. But David, once again, turned and sought guidance and counsel from the Lord. This time, God said, no, don't go down after them. God said, what you should do is go round about behind them and wait in the mulberry trees and wait for a moving, a rustling in the trees. And when you hear that, then you go in and you'll take the Philistines. David obeys the word of the Lord. He takes the Philistines. And then he gets the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where we are at um, in chapter 6 of Second Samuel. The first attempt of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel we know David puts the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart, and they wheel it in, and Uzzah is one of the drivers of the cart. And as the cart's going through Nashan's threshing hold, the cart cart is shook. Um, Uzzah reaches out to stop the Ark, and he's struck dead. Well, when you study the part of the Ark of the Covenant being put in the Philistine temple of Dagon, the Philistines got scared and tried to send the Ark back. And when they did, the Israelites, not having known the law of the Lord, not knowing how to properly handle the Ark of the Covenant, uh, 50,000 Israelis ended up perishing because of their lack of respect, lack of knowledge of of God's presence. And so... (laughs) Basically, the Israelites at that point sent the Ark of the Covenant back. So Uzzah reaches out to touch, you know, to keep the Ark from falling, and God's anger is kindled and strikes him dead. This scares the Israelites. They're like, (laughs) hey, you remember not too long ago, there's a lot of us that ain't around anymore because, because of this thing, this box, you know, this presence of the Lord. I don't know if we're ready for it. And if we go to chapter 9, I mean uh, verse 9, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? Uzzah had just been struck down and, and David's heart, you know, David, as we know, he's a man after God's own heart. He is obedient unto the word of the Lord. But David, as a shepherd boy, wrote songs unto the Lord. His his heart's desire was to be, to have the presence of the Lord. He understood this isn't just a tinker you know, box that's, that's a symbol of anything. He, he understood what comes with this is the presence of the Lord. I, I want this, I need this, but the people under me are afraid of it. And so David apparently was also ignorant of, how to properly proceed. And so they sinned. uh, So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him inside the house, and he moved it to um, the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Jittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Um, I would like to say it. It's very interesting. If you do a search, kind of, of who Obed Edom was, it, there's, there's a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of interesting things to see as, as you go into that um, on how he could, where, who he was as far as his uh, genealogy, his history, and, and just study it. Obed Edom's household was blessed. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. So for three months, something's changed. It's, the ark of the covenant has resided in Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom obviously knew the respect that was needed, and God honored that and blessed Obed-Edom. But, as far as on David's side, for these three months, David was studying Scripture. He was looking and finding out, okay, I messed up (laughs) first time around. Second time, we're going to do this right. So, it was told to King David, Obed-Edom, and he Went down to bring it into the city of David with gladness, verse thirteen, and it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. It's no longer in a cart. The priests that are supposed to be carrying the ark are moving the ark. Um, I heard a a reference in my studies. A guy, one of the, a minister, actually said that the Ark of the Covenant was never meant to be carried by something dead, but it was meant to be carried by something living. If you think about that in today, God's presence isn't meant to be moved dead. It takes a living being to move the the Lord. All righty. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Okay, another pause. David was girded with a linen ephod. We know, I mean, it's preached over and over and over, that David took off his kingly garments and danced and, and rejoiced before the Lord. But here, he's wearing an ephod. Who wears ephods? The priests wear ephods. So David has taken himself, not only did he just, he didn't just take himself away from being king, but he set himself as a priest. And, well, there's dancing and rejo- rejo- rejoicing coming. David isn't noted as the king, but yet he's the first one that enters into the city of David. And he's dressed as a priest. He's rejoicing because the king is coming into Israel. So, as, as, as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Israel, we've got sacrifices of peace offerings. And actually, if you go back and, and search up, sin offering really has been sacrificed as well. So you've got offerings being offered up as far as the blood sacrifices, but you also have sacrifices of worship and of praise. We know that a sacrifice is something that you give up, something that's not easy. So if, (laughs) let's say we're giving an offering right now. I can't say... Pastor, you put $10 in the basket, and that's my 10 bucks. That's, that's I didn't lose anything. But for you to sacrifice something, you have to give it up. David has just given up everything for the Lord as he rejoices as the presence of the Lord comes in. All right, so uh, we're on chapter 15. I mean, verse 15. I'm sorry, I keep on... Uh, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in, in his place in the midst of the tabernacle, that David had pitched for it. Um, I'd like to just pause mid-verse here. Um, if you do a search on the word tabernacle, like what the meaning of the word tabernacle is, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's a church. It's just a, a shelter, a, a, a dwelling place. So David pitched a tent for the Ark of the Covenant. David pitched a basically a linen shelter for the Ark of the Covenant to sit under while he was going to find out whether he's going to build a temple or re-assemble you know, the tabernacle of Moses. And so, effectively, David has just built the tabernacle of David. All righty. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine, so all the people departed, every one to his house. In this in this instance, after offerings would be made, the priest would typically partake of offerings. Right? David has been offering offerings ever since six paces back moved forward, so he's got enough meat to where he gives. It, it says, even the women as well as men. David has just made enough sacrifice that he fed the entire nation of Israel with his sacrifices. And he usurped the authority over the priest of, of the tag, tabernacle because he became one with the priest. All right. All um, right. After that, it goes into uh, Michael, finding out how bad she messed up. (laughs) So, to take a step back and just kind of cover what all we looked at here, the Tabernacle of David, it does not have any of the other furnishings of the Tabernacle of Moses. The only thing it has is the Ark of the Covenant. It is also missing a veil. There is nothing between the people and the presence of the Lord. The Tabernacle of David, also, um, there was music in the Tabernacle of David. As they moved in, there was singing and dancing, David leading. But if you go to, um, where did I write it down? Uh, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but First Chronicles 6, uh, 31 through 53, the first two, uh, 31 and 32, the verses 31 and 32, will give you kind of the description of what the Musicians Guild did, but after that, it actually goes through and names who the musicians were. But David charged... A section of Israel saying, you're my musicians, you're my music leaders. You will offer up music, praise, and dance unto the Lord continually until we tell you to stop. And so they did. And so you've got the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, no veil, praise and worship of people, not sacrifices of animals. Day, the tabernacle of David was a foreshadowing of what was to come. The tabernacle of David, as we know, remained until the end of the reign of King David. And in um, First Kings chapter 6 is when Solomon erects his temple. So instead of a tabernacle... Is now a temple. It's it's a stone and you know wood instead of fabric and skin. Well, I guess the Ark of the, I mean the Tabernacle had gold (laughs) and wood as well, but um, it was it was not a movable building. Um, The Tabernacle of Solomon or Temple of Solomon brought back everything. From the tabernacle of Moses, all the way from the burnt altar, the offering of, altar of burnt offerings, the laver, the holy place, the lamp, showbread, incense, veil, and then enter in Ark of the Covenant, presence of the Lord. And, and after Solomon's temple was erected, the presence of the Lord was once again cut off from anyone other than the high priest to enter in, to actually experience the presence of the Lord. Um, the, the tabernacle of Solomon remained all the way through until who knows when the tabernacle of Solomon fell, or not fell, but was no longer needed. Jesus was crucified and when Jesus was crucified the veil was torn top to bottom and now in the tearing down of the veil the presence of the Lord was no longer behind anything the presence of the Lord was open and available for everybody and if and there's actually three verses um that of uh, or three sections of scripture that allude to the rebuilding of um, the tabernacle of David. Uh, Amos 9.11, he's prophesying. And then if you go to Acts 15, 16, and 17. Did I save that? Okay, Acts 15, 16, and 17. Or 16 17, yeah. Um, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up <clears throat> that the re- residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon womb my name is called saith the Lord who doth all these things so thank the Lord for the tabernacle of David because we wouldn't be sitting here <laughs> if if it wasn't poured out to Gentiles as well. All right, so that for the moment wraps up my covering of the three tabernacles because we now live with the tabernacle of David is where we're at right now. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant because the presence of the Lord lives within us instead of residing in a single location. I would like to uh go over the seven feasts of the Lord to wrap this up. Um it's kind of interesting. I think past pastor has mentioned a few times where um you said for like Sunday service you like to have confirmation on what to teach or what to preach. You know, God gives you guidance, and then someone unknowingly most of the time will give you confirmation. Well, Tuesday, last Tuesday, pastor asked me about teaching tonight, and immediately I started thinking about, you know, seeking after God's will of where to go, and I had Tabernacle on my mind. Uh, I go and play a sport Tuesday evening, and someone new shows up, and I don't know exactly how, but (laughs) me and this guy ended up alone, away from everybody else, and this guy starts talking to me about the Feast of the Tabernacle, so I was like, I'm going to cover that. <laughs> I think I might cover that. So the Feast of the Tabernacle. Technically, there's eight feasts of the Lord. Not seven feasts of the Tabernacle. Seven feasts of the Lord. There's eight feasts of the Lord, technically. The eighth feast being the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is record- like adhered to every single week. It's every seventh day you rest. But the other seven feasts of the Lord are partaken once a year annually. Um, And the feasts of the Lord are found in Leviticus 23. I'm not going to go there and read through because we do want to go home sometime tonight. (laughs) But um, if if you're interested in what exactly happens on each feast, Go to Leviticus 23, and that's where you'll start reading the Feast of the Lord. So, first feast is the Feast of the Passover. It is held the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, which happens to be right now, April, the Passover, um, because we just celebrated Easter. So uh, the Passover feast is to commemorate the Passover of the death angel in Egypt, and a male, spotless lamb would be chosen, sacrificed, and the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost with a bunch of hyssop. It was on the Passover, as the Jewish people were choosing the spotless male lamb to sacrifice to apply the hyssop, to the doorpost, that also another group of Jews that must have chosen their lamb early was choosing Jesus instead of Barabbas. They were choosing the spotless lamb to be sacrificed so that his blood could be applied to our lives. The second feast is held on the day after the um, feast of the Passover. Now, the Jewish their their time schedule is completely different from what we are used to um for us 12 p or 12 a.m. goes into you know 12:01 a.m. it's the new day and the jews it's in the evening when it switches over from today to tomorrow it's not it's not in the middle of the night but the so, the Feast of the Passover over happens on the 14th day of the first month. So, as it goes into the 15th day, 15, the evening of the 15th day, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, be, begins to be celebrated. So, it is the 15th day of the first month. Um, the, day, uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread would commemorate the unleavened bread baked for their hasty journey out of Egypt. So if you go back to the story of Egypt, we know they sacrifice a lamb, blood on the doorpost, the death angel comes through, kills all of the firstborn that aren't protected by the blood. They're kicked out of Egypt, right? Well, they, they're instructed to sleep with their loins girt about them, their staff in their hand, their sandals on their feet, everything's packed and ready to go. So the tools and equipment that they would use to make leaven bread is in the backpack, so to speak. So they're ready to go. And the leaven, moving forward to present time, the leaven represents sin. And as we have the blood of the lot, uh, lamb applied to our lives, as, as we receive the Holy Ghost, as we're baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, we are to live our lives from that point, moving forward, without sin. Now, we do sin, but we have the blood of the Lamb to cover us and wash us anew. Uh, The third feast is the feast of first... Oh, I want to... I just remember there's a story or a tradition that's held by Jewish families still to this day that I thought was really cool. Um, And no offense to any Jewish person, but I have no idea how they missed who Jesus was. So the Feast of the Unleavened Bread today, they'll bake their unleavened loaf. They break it, eat half Wrap the other half in a white linen and hide it. Jesus broke the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Jesus was buried. And they wait for the children, they hide it for the children to go and find the other half of the unleavened bread let the little children come unto me, and to to enter into the kingdom of the Lord, you have to have a heart as a little child. I mean, it's just so much of it. It's just like, you guys see what you're doing, right? It's like, oh. So, uh, third feast, feast of first fruits, is the sixteenth day. So you've got fourteenth day, fifteenth day, sixteenth day is the first three feasts. Um, feast of first fruits. It was not celebrated by the children of Israel while they were traveling in the wilderness because there wasn't a harvest to partake of. They were being um, fed and nourished by the Lord with manna and um, quail. So the first feast of the first fruits wasn't observed until they had entered into the promised land and then they were able to partake. Of the first fruits, and what the first fruits was, which obviously if you look outside, there aren 't too many farm fields with crops ready to harvest, but this was the um barley harvest yes, barley harvest, and um they would offer they would pull up sheafs or sprigs, however big the barley was the first. Group of barley that came up out of the ground, they would pull it and they would offer it as a wave offering unto the Lord. For us, what the Feast of First Fruits represents is there was something dead, it was buried, and now it's resurrected. And He's alive forevermore. 50 days. After the Feast of First Fruits. So you've got um, death, burial, and resurrection. 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits is the Feast of Pentecost. Also known, you know, we were talking about it the other day. Feast of Pentecost is known as Feast of Weeks. And um, the Feast of Weeks, or Feast of Pentecost, would be the harvest of wheat. Instead of a wave offering of raw plants, they would harvest their wheat, they would grind it, make leavened bread. So the bread would have leaven in it. And um, typically it would be two loaves that they would use, but they would take two loaves of leavened bread and offer that as a wave offering unto the Lord. The bread had leaven and we you know pure something pure and something unpure the leaven in this sense as you know in the first one leaven is sin we as gentiles were not automatically chosen of god we are not Isra- israelites israelites were already i mean you were born you were a jew you were chosen of god and so the baking of the loaves brings in the Jews and Gentiles alike to form the church. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2.38. Peter got up and preached. Acts 2.38 and 39. 39 is really where it hits home, but where he says, and the promises unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off. So... On the day of Pentecost, the feast of or uh, the feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, is the foreshadowing of the church. Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts. The next three feasts are yet to come. The fifth, um, the fifth feast is the Feast of Trumpets the first it's held on the first day of the seventh month and in the wilderness as the people traveled the children of Israel had two silver trumpets and these trumpets would be blown for the assembling the gathering together of the people together 1 Corinthians 15:52 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye At the last trump, for the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Mm. This last part had me singing all day yesterday and today. So that's the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. Now the Feast of Atonement is the tenth day of the seventh month. Leviticus 16:1 uh, through 34 covers what all happens for the uh, Feast of Atonement. Um, but basically, the Feast of Atonement was for the cleansing, the repenting, uh, the removing of sin from the nation of Israel. After the rapture of the church, after the Feast of the Trumpets, God is going to cleanse the world and set up his kingdom, his throne, then the last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. God formed the first tabernacle, the Tabernacle of Moses, so that he would have relationship with his people. He moved in with the Tabernacle of David foreshadowing. He moved in the Tabernacle of Solomon because... He had not been on the earth. The sacrifice had not been made. The tabernacle of David's rebuilt when Jesus pays the price for our sin and salvation is offered unto us. The Feast of Tabernacles was the end of harvest and the end of ingathering for the nation of Israel, it was a celebration of the crop and harvest fully in the storehouses. Once Hang on a second. Once we've been called up uh, the trumpet is sounded and we are in the air together with the Lord there's going to be a feast of the marriage supper of the lamb. And we're going to celebrate there's not going to be any more in-gathering. There's not going to be anything else to look forward to other than eternity with the Savior. Um, I had two scriptures left to, uh, to kind of close us out tonight. Um, the first one is Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Uh, seeing that we have a great and high priest that is passed into the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet. Uh, next And let us therefore come boldly unto the th- throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find the grace in and help of time of need. The second and final scripture for tonight's Bible study is Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead body. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He is the high priest. We don't need to go through a man to go into the presence. We have a direct access. And in him is the fullness of the Godhead. He fulfilled every single part of the law. Mm. Let's just pray for a moment your holy I thank you lord for your love Oh, o ro no bo sharada la la bo sikia ya la la bo santa na na ki ki yo ro no bo sharada la la oh jesus i praise your holy name i praise your holy name. oh ki yo ro bo santa la la bo I praise Your holy name. I Praise
0: You. Good job. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, that's good teaching. You know, sometimes you just need to to have you know some of these things. I know a lot of people. You know, the, the Old Testament just messes them up, and they're like, "Man, I'm I'm just going to stick with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John." <laughs> it's, there's so many things, but. You know, the Bible tells us that those things given in the law in the Old Testament were, you know, an image of things that were to come. And you'll understand a lot better things that are happening now and things that are on their way if you will study some things in the Old Testament. And anytime I hear something like this, one thing that just sticks out to me uh, that just always impresses on me is that and when you look at each one of these steps, he, you know he went through the tabern- these three tabernacles, and then he's uh, talking about these feasts, and you see that God always had a plan, all the way from from the very beginning. I mean, there's you can go through a lot of different things and and see that that God always had a plan. Uh, you know, the fact that today is the uh, baptism that doth now save us, like Peter said. Well, where did he get that from? from eight souls saved in the days of Noah by water so God even then was showing that it's going to be water that's going to save people uh, in my name and so uh, I'm thankful for the plan that God has and uh, sometimes it's tough to wrap your brain around it but if you'll pray and study and seek it man God will start opening it up like like he said it'll make you sing (laughs) it'll make you shout and uh, you'll, you'll have church all by yourself uh, when God opens your eyes to some of these things. So aren't you thankful for the word of God? The word is so rich. It's so rich. It's, uh, you, you just can't miss uh, when you dive into that word. You're going to find something great for it. Good word tonight, my brother. Good teaching. Good teaching. Good stuff. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being in service tonight. and. And don't forget to be looking forward and praying for uh, the services on uh, Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. And uh, if you're going to ladies conference any night, I know my wife's going. If anybody else is going, we're praying that y'all have a great time. and Just tear that campground up with the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're going to have a great church on this weekend. So a busy week, a good week. It's great to serve the Lord. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. God bless you.